Welcome into a brand new episode of the Whole Story Podcast, where you get a different look into someone's career journey as to where they have gotten to the point today. On today's episode, Chris Budden, ESPN reporter. Chris, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. How are you holding up? I know this is just such a crazy time in the world, and especially with no sports. And I see on Twitter you are doing incredible work. I know this past Easter you did your third trip to deliver foods at the local hospital around you. So it seems like you're truly paying it back to your local community where you are. It is. You know, it comes in waves. Uh, I have two little kids at home, a one-year-old and a four-year-old. So that makes things really crazy. Mm -hmm. So while some people are spending time organizing their closets and uh, binge-watching a lot of things, our days are completely filled just trying to entertain them and trying to do something so that my four-year-old's not watching an iPad for 12 hours. Um, but yeah, you know, I looked back and, you know, throughout this time, I have my highs and lows. Like, I really miss sports. I really miss working. Mm -hmm. And the days that I feel like I'm the most positive are the days that I've done something productive and I've done something that's not just for myself. And so we ended up raising money to bring food from local restaurants that we love. So they kind of fold helps the restaurants and it shows um, our appreciation for the doctors and nurses are sacrificing their safety every day on the front lines. So we have one more delivery we're going to make this week, and then we'll see kind of where we go from there. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned your kids, and for someone that is in this career in the sports industry, how exactly can you balance the work and life aspect? It must be some parts of it challenging, right? Definitely challenging. I, you know, I, I didn't know until you get into it and you can give as much advice as you want, but until you're in it, you don't really realize how best to manage it. You just do. So for me, I always say this, um, I live by the quote, be where your feet are. And so if I'm at home and those are the hours that I'm meant to be with my, and my family, then I'm at home and my phone gets put away. Now, I have an Apple Watch, someone can contact me if I have to take player calls or coach calls. But for the most part, those hours that are designed to be with family, I'm, you know, 98% in with my family. And then the times where I'm at work, that work gets, you know, I say 98% of me because there's always 2% if there's an emergency at home. Um, but you just learn to work, not work more you work smarter and so whereas before I had family I could spend 14 hours a day studying notes for a football game did I necessarily need to do that no but I felt like I had to now that a place in my career I know how to study how to prepare the best and so sometimes that's waking up before my kids during their nap time after they go to bed so that I can figure out a way to give um Kind of each a different piece of me because you can't give yourself a hundred percent to both worlds otherwise you will be non-existent so that's kind of what i've kind of figured out how to manage between both work and family time you mentioned the prep work that you do for any particular game kind of walk me through what is your day-to-day -day? let's say there's a college football game or a game tonight what would you be doing right now yeah, so fo well, let's take football, for example, because it's the longest prep, just because the amount of players. You also have to know all of the games that led up to that game for a sense of perspective of that season. It's a little bit different from basketball because there's so many games. 
So let's take our week for a Sunday. We get our game assignment. First thing I'll really do is contact the sports information directors. And each week I try to talk to three or four players from each team, a couple on offense, a couple on defense. Um, and that's for my own kind of storylines so that I have stuff that the guys in the booth don't necessarily have conversations with. Um, and then from there, it's watching the game film from the week before, because I think what people don't realize is if you're working on a Saturday, you didn't see all the other games on a Saturday. So it's that. It's, you know, Mondays are conference calls with our production crew, um, player calls, notes. I start my boards on Mondays. And then Tuesday, Wednesday is really player calls and taking notes and putting together my boards. Thursday is usually a travel day. Friday is meetings all day with coaches. Um, we'll have a production meeting either Friday night or Saturday morning. And honestly, the day of the game is the easiest stuff because if you've done all your prep, there isn't much else to do. Now, my job, you know, two hours before a game, I'm on the sidelines, I'm watching warm-ups. Is everybody mm -hmm. there? You know, you don't always have – Coaches that'll tell you if someone's not going to play, so you kind of go through it too deep and make sure all everyone of note uh, is out there during a warm up. Who was injured? Watching those players, um, talking with equipment guys, familiarizing yourself with the medical team. Um, random things like if there was an injury, what hospital would the ambulance go to? Those are all things that to find out ahead of time because once you're in a game, that information is really hard to find out. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think sideline reporting is one of the most difficult aspects of sports broadcasting in the sports industry because a lot of people don't realize you are basically the communication between what is happening on the field and relaying key parts of information to the broadcasters that are actually calling that game. Take me through what exactly goes through, you know, I've been a sideline reporter at the college level you know, in sports broadcasting, but I'm sure it's a little bit different, more in-depth to what you do, just simply because more experience, more reps, you have a, more knowledge, you have more producers in your ears kind of mm -hmm. talking and walking you through of what is impactful to the overall storyline of what the game is kind of laying out to you. Yeah, I think I you have to understand you're there for a purpose and it, it's not to relay a bunch of feature stories that you read in newspapers and magazines and websites, because that is everything that a play-by-play -play or an analyst could do. The purpose of the sideline reporter is to be the eyes and ears on the field that the booth and the, the production truck can't hear. And sometimes that makes air. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's me just telling a director, Hey, get a shot of this or, you know, so-and-so's walking off the field. That's not necessarily report, but if you're on a package that doesn't have or a game, a lot of cameras, that sideline reporter is helpful to the director and the producer so that they don't miss things with the camera. Um, I was having an interesting conversation with some of our reporters on our Facebook live the other day. And Allison Williams had a good point. She said, it's really easy to be an okay sideline reporter. It's really, really hard to be a sideline reporter. And what, and I agree with our 100%, because you can do an interview and you can do a couple feature stories and you can get away with being just okay and not being exposed. Um, to be a really, really good one is finding the moments, finding the conversations, witnessing things that change the elements and the story of the game. Um, they, 
If I didn't report on something, if I missed an injury, no one really knows that I missed it. But so that's where you can really figure out, you know, how, how you can and cannot get exposed. But say I noticed something that was like a minute injury that no one really noticed and the coaches don't give you any information on, but that quarterback doesn't come out in the second half. Well, that's where what I saw, what I heard on the sidelines really pays dividends, especially nowadays the coaching staffs aren't giving you a ton of information. So, um, you know, to me, it's just always keeping your eyes and ears open as to what you're seeing. And a lot of times that means not paying attention to the action on the field, but everything else that's going around it. When you're doing a sideline report and you're telling a story, what is one of the biggest aspects that sideline reporters or yourself make sure that you put more of an emphasis on when you're telling a story that their listeners or the viewers need to know? Uh, a, that everything is factually correct. Um, if you, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard because you're also lip reading. Unless you know 100% that that's what that person says, don't say it. It's okay. Um, and then in my mind, what people also don't have a hard time with is the guys in the booth get to talk endlessly. We have to talk in 20-second snippets. And then you have to be done by the time the snap of the next play. So it's going through the report, keeping an eye on the field so that you're not talking over the next play. So in my mind, I have, you know, I start with A and I want to get to point F, you know, A through F. I might notice that they're getting up to the line. You have to figure out quickly in your head how to get to F and what you can drop out. What can you drop out that's kind of not – um, necessary to the story, what is essential to telling the story, um, which is why, like, especially with injury reports, it's just, here's the nuggets, here's what I know. Mm -hmm. It's okay to not know stuff. You don't necessarily have to say that, but just give what you know. If it's more of a complicated feature story, then know the elements that you might need to drop out if you don't always have the time to get through all of it. When you were going through college and looking to land and get into the sports industry of sports broadcasting, what were some of the roles that obviously you, if you're in the sports industry, you have to have some sort of liking to many different options. When you're looking to get into this, what was something that you had your eyes on that just excites you to this day about this whole industry? Um, I just loved telling people's stories. Uh, when I got into this industry, I went to Mizzou Broadcasting School because I wanted to be a news reporter. And at the end of the day, I'm someone who takes my work home with me. And I thought I would not be very happy standing outside of a fire and talking about murders every day. And at the root of it, I wanted to tell people's stories to audiences. And in sports, you get a chance to do that a lot more than you do with news. So whatever path it took me on, I wanted to be in a place where I could tell those stories. Um, and I started in local news. I was a photographer, an editor, a, a producer, an on-air. I did every one-man band piece there is. Um, and then that's what attracted me to being a sideline reporter, was it was getting a chance to share the stories on the field, um, I love interviewing people, being able to interview people on the best days of their lives. Like, like, what's your job like? Like, I got to – there's a backup quarterback that threw a Hail Mary for Arizona State, Mike Berkovici, that most people won't even remember that name. 
and he beat USC on a last second Hail Mary and I got to interview him while he was crying. That's the best day of his life and I got to be a part of that. You know, I did the College World Series and got to interview Vanderbilt when they won and, you know, they brought a family member for a teammate who had passed away. Like those moments, um, I get to be a part of that and that's what still drives me every day is getting to be a part of people's best days. You talked about interviewing people. That's how you get to tell the stories that basically is your job and your passion for what you do. How would you define an interview? How would I define an interview? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I definitely have a map in my head of how to interview. Um, an interview, in my opinion, is taking someone um, on a road. You have a place where you want to get to and a place where you want to start. Um, and that road have a lot of curves. It may be a straight line, um, but it's on the, the shoulders of the interviewer to make sure that you get the most out of that road. Um, you can go 100 miles an hour and get from A to B really easily, but did you miss a lot of turns along the way that would have made the interview great? Um, and where confidence and you know like when you first start out you have like these questions I want to ask and then you stop listening for the answers and as your confidence grows I always know there's a couple if you know if I don't get a great answer there's a couple questions in the back of my mind but as you get better at it you learn to listen and people like Tom Rinaldi are the best at this they can just listen and they know how to respond and the best viewers take those answers you're still getting them to the point B where you want to get to but within the that time maybe you brought out some emotion maybe you brought out some details that people didn't know mm -hmm. you bring up a great point about listening skills you know whenever I go into an interview for example I think I have three or four bullet points you know it's just how do you find out you, you obviously go into an interview with some basic knowledge you know, previous just research of the person or of an event that you're going to talk about. But also, I always say this, if you're interviewing Rob Gronkowski after a Super Bowl and he, you know, you have in your head when he's telling you a response, you're focused on what the next question is and he tells you that he's retiring, then you ask him, well, what's next? You completely <laughs> missed it. You know, it's, it's yeah. an exaggerated example, but you bring up a great point of the listening aspect of this what was one moment that you were interviewing someone and you heard something and you immediately said that's a perfect response for me to follow up on yeah um it, it's the ones that come out of nowhere that you're just you know, i mentioned vanderbilt i covered them they won the sec baseball tournament um last year and tim corbin started crying during a question that wasn't even meant to go there um but they had had a player a couple of years ago, Donnie Everett passed away. And whatever jogged up in Tim Corbin's mind, he thought of him um, and got emotional. So in that moment, you have to A, know to pause. Um, we have an innate reaction as humans when you see someone crying is you want to jump in and you want to hug them. And the hardest part of those interviews is just letting it breathe and letting that emotion play out. And I even had, you know, my producer in my ear was just like, you know, let this breathe. Um, and then because I had the knowledge of the background of Donnie Everett, I was able to follow up with that and say, you know, 
what does this title mean for a program? I don't even remember what the program, you know, what the question was, but it had to do with Donnie. Um, and had I not paid attention to the answer or let the moment breathe, if my next question was, you know, what'd you think of Kumar Rocker's outing? Well, that, then you've lost, you've lost all emotion out of it. Um, so the more prepared you are, the more knowledgeable in the, in, in the prep you've done, helps you have that confidence to say, it's okay to not have 10 questions lined up in your head. Because sometimes really easy, why or how, you know, just those questions as a follow-up um, can, can get really great responses. You can't overthink it sometimes. Yeah, you know, it's funny, as I was sharing this story, so we all say that Tom Rinaldi is one of the best interviewers, and he did a podcast where he had to interview Nick Saban after they lost in the national championship. He had to go to the locker room, and he was, like, chalking his mind of, like, what's the best, the smartest question? Like, you know Saban's going to be ticked. And he said the best question was the easiest question. And sometimes we don't think of the easiest question. But the question was, what went wrong? And it was, I remember that was like, because I would never think of it. That is such a simple question, but it's almost so simple that we don't think about it. That gets the answer that you're looking for there. You know, you don't have, when you're younger in your career, you feel like you have to have all these stats and, you know, so you guys, you know, were plus five on the boards with only five turnovers in it. Like take that out of it because at that time you're taking those words out of the interviewee's mouth. Sometimes just uh, what went wrong is the best question. And then you allow the person you're interviewing to expand on it and then hopefully you'll have so many great follow-up questions to ask them. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, that, and that's, but that comes with confidence because, I, you know, you're always like, well, what if a question doesn't come to mind? Then I'm stuck here in this... Um, in this dead space and I don't have anything, you know, so it takes, a, you know, some more confidence. It takes some screw ups along the way. Um, and then there's always the, the ones that you cannot like go to questions. You can always rely on in the back of your head. If you know, you ever get into a place and then there's some coaches that, you know, they'll just walk off when they're done. <laughs> what was, you know, if you're ever in an interview that you just aren't getting that, click you know they're not really giving you anything it's the one word answers maybe perhaps on to Cincinnati and what for one example what would be one go-to question for you do you have a go-to question that you might rely on or something that you can go to to try to allow them to open up to you a little bit more um I don't know I think part of it's knowing who you're interviewing I mean Mike Leach will talk to you forever about pirates. He's not going to give you much about basketball. So knowing that going in, like my, your expectations are way down here. So I'm not going to sit here and try and like beat a dead horse trying to get something out of it that I know it's not my question. She just doesn't give that to anyone. Um, I go back to the how and the why. Um, because those are questions that always will get you something that's not, that's more than one word answers. Um, I sometimes rely on what's important, like what will be important in the second half that requires them to give a detailed answer. Um, how, you know, um, how did this happen or how did, um, how were they able to jump out to a 10 point lead that involves something requires them to answer, um, more than one word. And then there's some 
that, you know, like John Calipari is going to take the interview wherever he wants to go, no matter what the question is. So if you ask about rebounding, if he doesn't want to talk about rebounding, he's not going to talk about it. He's going to talk about scoring or turnovers or mentality or whatever. So sometimes with Cal, my question just is, what were your thoughts on the first half? Mm-hmm. How do you think a team played in the first half? Um, always making sure there's not like a negative or positive tone to it because they could be up 40 points, but he could be pissed. So you can't say, you know, how pleased were you with your team? Because he might not be pleased. We might think so based on their play, but he might be upset about something. So if you say how pleased were you with the first half and he goes, well, I'm ticked. Well, then that kind of makes you look like a stupid question. So making sure that it's always neutral also will get you um, a lot further in the interview. Chris, this is my favorite part of the show. It's the Fast Five Quick Run. It's five quick questions. You have how long do you take to answer them? Are you ready? Sure. What is I'm nervous. Go- Hold on. <laughs> okay, go what ahead. What is your go-to song if you were uh, singing in karaoke? Ooh, um, Don't Stop Believing. Great song. Um, favorite book? Ooh, favorite book. This is like a really old one, but Where the Red Fern Grows. Who is your hero? Who's my hero? Um, probably my parents. Mm. Biggest fear in life? Mm-hmm. Biggest fear. Um, besides snakes, um, something happening to my kids. Mm-hmm. And then the last one for the Fast Five, who was your favorite teacher you had either in high school, middle school, elementary, or in college? Um, I had a uh, sports broadcast teacher who um, always let me produce for him. Um, I'd go out and shoot, and I would watch him during live shots. His name was Chris Trevino. And um, just watching him never use scripts and always be so kind to people. Um, Everyone in Columbia, Missouri loved him and it was because of the way he treated people. Well, Chris, my last question for you, what's been one of your proudest career moments up to this moment in time? Oh, um, probably the College World Series. I've been a baseball fan my entire life. I've always wanted to cover the College World Series. The way that that town embraces like all of Omaha, like the way that that tournament is run, um, the people that cover it from an ESPN standpoint are just the best. Um, and baseball is so unique because you can sit in the dugout and talk to coaches and players, and there's so much less, like before a football game, you can't sit there and really talk, you know, with a quarterback. But I could sit there and just, you know, chat with any of the coaches 30 minutes before a game. It's just so much more relaxed, your access to things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was probably my favorite moment in my career. That and I got to cover the, the 2012 London Olympics, which was pretty fantastic. Well, Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the Whole Story podcast today. Where can all the listeners follow you on all platforms, on social media, and also uh, listen and, and watch your work on ESPN? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Chris Budden, K-R-I-S um, Budden. And then every Thursday, until there's sports again, <laughs> myself, Allison Williams, and Molly McGrath do a segment called Sidelined Reporters over on ESPN PR's Facebook page. So if you're interested in knowing a little bit more of uh, our role, we, uh, we chat about that every Thursday. Well, Chris, thanks so much.
Thank you, Alex.